Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! to june which you know what that means for us queers it means happy pride month roger happy pride troy and (laughs) and happy camping happy pride happy camping happy gaiety all around yes so how are you (laughs) oh my god Uh, listen i feel like i need to take a minute to make this podcast my Therapy couch. What a fucking (laughs) week it's been. Oh my God, listeners, hang on there for a minute. I need Troy to listen to me. Just, you know, go find a way to entertain yourselves (laughs) while I vent to Troy. Um, No, so I (laughs) I was in Cancun, as you do now that you can travel again. I was in Cancun with my lovely boyfriend and he and I were having a wonderful time. And then about two days before I leave, I start noticing I'm having the symptoms of a sinus infection. And um, I was like, oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, I'm in Cancun. Why? And so um, my last two days, I'm feeling like crap. I get on the flight to go back, and apparently this is a thing that can happen. I didn't even know this was possible. Because I got in the flight, the pressure change, where, you know, that popping you feel in your ears. Well, apparently you could the mucus, the phlegm in your, in your sinuses, they're so connected to your ears, it just pulled all of this mucus into my ear and gave me a double ear infection. I'm in misery. I can't believe I could even hear you on my headset. Um, I sound like I'm underwater at all times. Um, I have since gone on antibiotics. It went into my eye. And this is not a way to start Pride. We just had our Pride here in Cleveland, June 4th, and I had to miss the whole thing because I was bedridden and heavily medicated. Well... I guess we could say you are an unhappy camper then. Oh, the unhappiest. I'm Angela-level unhappy. But, you know, you did have something great happen just this past Friday. Finally, finally. you The saving, the saving grace. grace. The saving grace. And which which yeah. was what? Let's tell the view- listeners. I was going to say viewers. <laughs> listeners, if you don't know this, Troy and I sometimes make movies uh, this is how we know each other. This is why we are friends. And I finally wrapped up the the first um, my directorial debut, which has been lingering in post hell for the last several years. I finally got it done, and I got it out, and it just was released. So you can now stream my movie Rebirth on multiple major platforms, including Amazon Prime and um, uh, iTunes and Apple TV, you know. So yeah, if, if any of you care to see it and watch it, and maybe leave it a little love, it would mean the world to me. I'm very proud. Yeah, of you this should project. be. You should be, and it's getting some great, uh, great publicity. Uh, I've seen lots of stuff about it these past few days. So that's always a huge plus when you have a distributor that actually takes the time to do that, because not all of them do. Trust me, there. <laughs> Oh yeah, I you know I got really lucky. I, this is my first 
time, you know, uh, doing this for myself, but I have, I've witnessed other companies, um, sign with other distribution companies and have negative experiences. And I kind of knew some of the warning signs to look for. And my big thing is I wanted to know that they were going to do their job in the sense of promotion and pushing the product. And that is something I have to say, this company has really, uh, impressed me. It's with midnight releasing. So thus far I'm pretty content uh, based off the publicity alone, and I'm really happy with the viewership, and it's uh, onwards and upwards, I like to think. But yes, thank you for uh, thank you for mentioning that. view uh, Listeners, I almost said viewers too, but potential viewers, if you choose to view the movie, um, I appreciate you in advance, and I hope you enjoy it. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, well. What, what about you? What about you, uh, You know, not... Just winding up the school year and or winding down the school year, which has been pretty hectic. About to put the finishing touches on a, a new screenplay that I've been working on forever. Yeah, it's almost done. Literally, like almost done. I have like it's so close to being done. Um, and then, you know, just the Houston Horror Film Festival is coming up in three weeks. That's consuming a lot of my time trying to prepare for yes. that. And yeah, so yes. And listeners, I do just want to point out if you do have interest in either of these two topics we just mentioned, be it my film or his film festival, uh, which has an amazing amazing lineup. We mentioned a little bit last uh, episode, but it just really sh- deserves to be acknowledged what a good lineup they have. Um, uh, check out our Instagram. We have links to either individual company Instagrams, uh, individual. Um, profiles for either event slash movie where you can uh, get as much information you need on where to procure tickets or where you can stream the film or what have you. So do check out our individual Instagrams uh, when you get a moment. Yeah, for sure. For sure. There's lots of good stuff there. Yeah. And actually I had a friend over the other night and I got to show him teacher shortage and he actually loved it and he loved your performance. So I had to shout that out. So he was like, oh my God, he was so good. I'm like, I know, right? Oh, you know how to start an episode uh, off the bang. And you know, <laughs> just you and I just jacking each right? other oh, off. Yeah, well, stroking hey, ego. That's how we. That's how we increase <laughs> listeners. <laughs> da, 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 da. But one of the questions he had was, you know, would you ever do a sequel? And you know what? Speaking of sequels, I, I had said it would be really interesting to do Teacher Shortage Two, but like maybe change it, change just the whole tone of the film, make it a little bit different. Um, tonally complete antithesis to the first one, much like our film that we are discussing today. You cannot be any more dead on with that statement. My God, we're going from one polar extreme to the other with this one. Mm-hmm. And you know, okay, so the film we are discussing for this episode that I'm really excited to talk about, honestly, is uh, Sleepaway Camp 2 unhappy campers we covered sleepaway camp the original sleepaway camp we covered it three episodes ago already with the lovely lovely chris jennert um speaking of teacher yeah shortage. speaking of teacher shortage the lovely chris jennert was our guest and we had i thought the conversation was very uh very good i thought we had a i thought the episode was really good insightful we were respectful we really picked apart the film and, and what we thought about it in terms of its place in slasher history and the controversy surrounding the film. So I, I thought it'd be interesting to come to this film, which is the, the sequel. Um, and it's almost in a way 
I, I would say, I don't know, you could disagree with me. I guess there's a lot of reasons to disagree with me, but I just think because of the, the tonal shift, it's almost just a sequel in name, even though the original character's back and blah, all that stuff. It's still... <sighs> you know, I, I agree on that if it wasn't for a few little things that they do nicely scattered over the course of the movie. Because I try to come at this with fresh eyes in the sense of... um really looking for like the connecting tissue between the first and the second. And it's there, but it is meager, but it is there. Yeah, it is there. I have notes about it. They, they do do a very good job of actually connecting, like you said, connecting things from the first film to this film, which is, I don't know to me. And we'll get to it. We'll get to it. We're going to, we're going to head, for, we're going to head right into this film, but to me, it's a little jarring that they are when they do that so blatantly they are so blatantly bringing in things from the first film and trying to connect them to this film when as i said the tone of this film is completely different so all it does when they yeah. do that i think is just remind you of how different the first film was from what they were trying to do here not that they did not succeed with what they were trying to do here because i actually think as a slasher film comedy it works really well uh, but let's get into it. Um, it's it's Sleepaway Camp 2 from 1988, directed by a Michael A. Simpson, who is not the original director of the first film, and the obviously, and the film has a completely different writer. The you know, the first film was written and directed by Robert Hiltzik. Um, this is a completely different director and a, a different writer. Which I'm wondering how that came to be. I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I wouldn't be shocked if they saw this as a profitable, like a, I, I'm sure the, the powers that be saw this as, as a, I don't want to say a gold mine, but like, you know, just, you know how these companies fucking work. You make a little bit of profit on something and all of a sudden nowadays it's the direct to DVD, you know, or just instant release mentality that we'll see what happens now that we've kind of moved into deep into the streaming culture with everything that happened with COVID. I'm sure there'll be a shift with that as well. But for a while it was like, yeah, that direct to DVD mentality, like the uh, house on haunted Hill versus house on haunted Hill too. Um, I mean, you see a severe decrease in budget, but they still know that they can milk it dry. Uh, and I think they saw some potential with the original movie, because as we said in our first review, the original movie works in a lot of areas. Uh, I would say it's probably one of the best slasher films of the decade. Um, and I think that they, that they saw that being the case and they wanted to run with it. I agree with that, except again, I'm going to keep saying this people. So if you get tired of me saying this, just shut the podcast off, but (laughs) the film is so completely different. So I'm wondering what they're, you know, if they read this particular script, um, and greenlit it based on the success of the first one, that's just curious to me because, generally what we saw from the slasher sequels in the eighties, uh, is that they really tried to just, um, copy what made the first one a success. So you have like Friday the 13th and Friday the 13th part two, even though I prefer part two, uh, for, for various reasons that it, it basically is the first film. I mean, it follows it completely. I mean, it's, it's saying it's the same atmosphere, same tone, same thing with like um, a Halloween and Halloween too. So generally what you saw was if a slasher film was successful and it got a sequel, that the sequel was very much in line with the first film. And this one is so different that I'm wondering what they 
what they were thinking. But maybe we'll get to it. Maybe they were just like, maybe on paper, this read a little bit different than the director's intention. Um, I don't know. Uh, but the film, the film opens up with a basically a scream and you get a group of campers sitting around a campfire and the lead counselor, whose name is TC and he has the most luscious blonde mullet I've ever seen in my life. What is it with, we, we happen, we find all the movies with the most luscious mullets, Roger. I don't know. Fascination. I don't know. I'm, I'm addicted to mullets at this point in the game. I want to run my fingers through this man's lioness locks. They're just, Bountiful, blonde, full, this mullet. It's so luxurious. It is, it is. It's a strong I think. It, it really I really is. think this is the best mullet I've seen in a film. Um, oh, yeah, it's so quaffed. It's I, I think quaffed. they learned from the mustache mistake in the first film that they were like, okay, if we're going to do a mullet, it's going to be the fucking most luscious, beautiful, full mullet we've ever seen. None of these fake felt mullets. Nope. It's all natural, baby. All natural. Yeah. So he's telling a ghost story, and you know the campers are you know sitting around listening to him. And there happens to be a the only female camper around the whole campfire is Phoebe. And Phoebe, after uh, TC tells his little story, Phoebe's like, "Well, I have a story too. Have you heard about the camp that's a few block, a few miles away from here?" And everyone's like, "Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We know what happened there." And the kids are like, "Yeah, we heard about that. There was, you know, a bunch of kids were murdered." And she's like, "Yeah, um, he was really a she, and like thirty people were killed. And um, I think he she he died or something. And then one of the kids." there his name is sean who is hot oh i, oh, I would sit on that face it is a good i'm just face. gonna tell you when i was a kid and i was seeing this movie i knew i was gay right away when i saw when i laid my eyes on him especially fuzzy chest and his, yeah so i was gonna say a shirtless scene later in the film with his fu- oh he is whew. um my cup of tea yeah so angela a, a counselor it's angela at this point, we really don't know. It's Angela from the first film. She shows up to get Phoebe and um, like yells at Phoebe for being out with the boys. And as they're walking away, this is when they're continuing the story about Angela. And the kids are like, well, what happened? You know, what happened? And someone's like, oh, well, I heard that two stories. Either he's dead or he's in Hollywood playing the dark haired girl in the facts of life, which I'm assuming is Joe. <laughs> Which would make sense. I mean, lesbian Joe. Um, (laughs) And this is when we find out from Sean that no, he's not dead. Angela Baker did not die. In fact, he was put in jail because his dad was a cop that arrested Angela. So this is, they are connect right away. They are connecting to the first film pretty nicely. Oh yeah, especially like the um, the whole story that Phoebe tells. It is like I mean, it is basically if you have not seen the first movie, it is an exposition laden backstory. Yeah. <laughs> like she tells an in depth tale that covers all the bases of what you need to know in case somehow you missed out on the first Sleepaway Camp and now you're watching Sleepaway Camp Two. And they do, yeah, they do a really good job of setting the scene and making it clear that this is the same universe. It is. And it and and I think that they lead in pretty nicely with yeah. That. And we find out from Sean that um, Angela was in a mental institution and actually had a sex change, 
sexual reassignment surgeries, we'll call it now because sex change is, you know, a little bit of a outdated term. Um, right. Gender reassignment surgery. There you go. And he's like, and our tax dollars paid for it. But now, you know, he's out now. He's and we don't know where he's at. Yeah. And I think Troy here is something to acknowledge. Um when, when you state the shift in tone and also the whole idea of the differences in the, in the first film versus this one, um, I, I feel like the first film had an element of, even though it was like kind of taboo in some of the material it was tackling, it had an element of class. Mm-hmm. The first movie is, doesn't feel like a classless film. Uh, it might be a slasher, but it's still a beautifully shot, elegantly executed, and in the end, like really like unique slasher movie that delves into the who's and what's and why's of why, you know, Angela operated the way she did and what the, her journey was. This kind of takes all of that and it makes light of it. And, and you see that right away with this opening sequence. I feel you really see that in, or hear that in some of this dialogue, the, the, the tax dollars line, you start to see, I think a, a more, a, a, a meaner spirited, approach mm-hmm. coming uh, seeping into this and um and i think yes. that's really where that shift uh, that, uh, that tonal shift hurts this film is that it kind of takes in which the first film i think it was addressed with a sensitivity in this film i do too not at all in fact it is this movie is chock full of lgbtq slurs and the usage of terms like faggot and you know you hear it and it's beginning to end and it really is kind of just the note you start off on, it's it's pretty hard to go in having uh, the same uh, approach and the same opinion of Angela that you do in this movie because it totally makes her character into something different. I I totally agree with you, and I have a few thoughts on that because based on the first film and, and what we know about Angela and and her story, I find it personally really hard to believe that she would have went through with a gender reassignment surgery. I I don't think that that would have been something that she would have done necessarily, but it it is interesting that they went that route with it. And, and she seems to fully like embrace, embrace it. Now it's, it's, it's not a conflict. It's not an issue. Not that I think that the, her, I don't think her gender, was an issue in the first film as much as some people want to play that up. And what I find really interesting is the same, some of the same people that I've seen online, they're like, Oh, sleepaway camp is so problematic. It's transphobic. It's blah, blah, blah. We'll turn around and say, Oh my God, but the sequels are so fun. I'm sorry. I tend to think that this film is a little bit more problematic than the first film, but that's not to say I still don't, have a lot of positive things to say about this film. It's just funny that people will say, Oh, the first film's so problematic, but then give these, this film and the sequel a pass Uh, where I think that this film took a Liberty to do something with this character that was not in line with what, how it was presented in the first film and B it wasn't necessary. It wasn't necessary. Uh, It wasn't necessary to make Angela now a female character um, knowing that we what we know in the first film, but we we will cover that more um, here later. So, and as and now this is where the film again shifts completely because Angela is leading Phoebe away, and she's being like really aggressive to her, like she calls her a slut. She's like, 
I, you know, you, we haven't even been here three nights and you're already sneaking out with the boys and, you know, you're a slut. And Phoebe's like, uh, what are you talking about? You know, um, I'm just out having fun. I wasn't doing anything. And Andrew's like, I should send you home. And Phoebe's like, well, go, yeah, go for it. I don't care. And walks away. And she is like acting like she's lost in the woods and she can't see anything, even though these are like the brightest woods I've ever seen in my life. And she's like, I can't see a thing. I'm like, um, it's pretty light out lady. But anyways, right here is where we know we are dealing with a completely different film because Angela, Phoebe's like, Angela, where are you? And Angela, you hear Angela say, I'm right here. Phoebe turns around. Angela bashes her in the head with a big old branch and then proceeds to cut her tongue out. Oh, yeah. It's really like there is no attempt at, at masking <laughs> or hiding the identity of who this killer is. And it is a unique approach. Do I think it was necessarily the right approach with the series? Hmm, I'm going to just say no. Um, I, I mean, this this is a question I was going to ask at the end, but I think this is the time to present it because I want to know going into this conversation just where you stand. Are you mm-hmm. a Felissa or are you a Springsteen? Gosh. Oh. You know what? I don't want to answer that. I do want to answer it, but because I don't know. I I, I like Pamela Springsteen's performance uh, uh, in these films. If I were to be 100% honest, I feel like she gives the better performance of the two. Only, and I'm saying this, because I love Felissa Rowe. She's going to be at the Houston Horror Film Festival. Please don't listen to this, Felissa. Um, I love her to death. However, I just think Pamela Springsteen was giving given way more to do with the character. It has nothing to do with Felissa Rowe as being a bad actress or anything. She's very good in the first film. However, she's not given a lot to do. Her, her whole performance is just to sit there and have her eyes wide and, and stare at people. Pamela Springsteen actually creates a character that ends up, as much as you maybe dislike the character, is extremely charismatic. Um, and her, her, her delivery, her comedic timing is really good. Um, now, if you were asking me, like, which Angela I prefer, you know, again, <laughs> I feel like the Angela in the first film is so, like, non not very not not a presence because we don't know who the killer is throughout the film. In this film it's very blatant and you get to see you get to know more motivation behind Angela and her reasons for killing. So I think it makes for a more engaging killer. Now, that's not to say that I like this film better than the first one. I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, answered it very well. I, and, and I totally understand what you're saying in the sense of this Angela, for listeners who may have randomly not seen this film but are some somehow listening to this, um, uh, there is a, a drastic contrast between exactly what you said. Angela in the first movie has a well limited – Yes. She has a very limited amount of what she's I'm, able to do. She's mute. She's yeah. mute for most of I'm just going to interrupt you, and I'm sorry, but I'm going to say this, and then you can lead off because I think this is where you're going with this. I in no way believe – in any pore of my body that the Angela in Sleepaway Camp 2 would have turned into the Angela in Sleepaway Camp. The Angela in the original Sleepaway Camp would have turned into this Angela. There's, I don't buy it at all. It's such a completely different character. There's no way that meek little mild Angela from the first film turned into this. I'm sorry. That's, that is a huge issue. This film has. Right. 
Right. It really, you know, it, it, I think one good way to put this and in going into this whole conversation we're going to have, because there's the goods and the bads with this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of goods. Mm-hmm. But there's the bads are that they really, and again, going back on what you said, like, you don't know who, who approves this, but they really dumbed it down. Mm-hmm. They took a complex character who could have had a really complex story and they just dumbed her down to the bare bones of what made this character who she was. Uh, they Freddy fight. Yes. They they made her into like a. They're like, what what can we do with this character to make the audiences really like her? We're going to give her one liners. We're going to make her kind of quirky. We're going to make her weird. And the reason that I think the first movie succeeds, and the reason the first Angela I think is more captivating, is because it's an internal journey. She's internalizing all of this trauma, and she's expressing it through violence. In this one, this character just likes doing mm-hmm. it. I could care less about someone who's just like, yeah, this is fun. I'm just going to go kill these teenagers. Like, I want to know somebody who's, like I said, complex. I want to I want to get some meat to that story. And this movie really just shaves the meat off until it's the bare bones. And they give you a really kind of just skeleton structure slasher with a quirky killer. That's, that's kind of what she becomes. She's fun. She's well played. It's well delivered. There's a few moments there where you see the the trials and the struggles tied into the first movie and they do an okay job with bringing that in, but there's just not enough of it mm-hmm. in my opinion. Yeah, no, I see. I totally agree. I see where, what you're saying for sure. It's just, it's, it's so, it's so interesting because it is two completely different characters to me. It's yeah, it's, it was an odd choice. So after this opening kill, you know, again, the tone of the film is completely different because there's like this rock song that plays over the opening credits that I tried to pay attention to, but I'm... oh my god, it's such a, like a, such a tone shift that I feel like they had to know what they were doing. I think they're trying to smack it across the audience's face to be like, "Hey, this is a totally different movie. Get ready for it!" Like you know, trying to build the excitement. Um, and it, it works in the sense that yeah, you know immediately you're not watching the first Sleepaway Camp. I will say that tongue removal sequence really, uh, really a hokey effect. <laughs> Like, like it's so fake. You can see she's like pretending to saw through the tongue and then she just puts down like a fake tongue. It's very poorly executed, but the movie's not badly shot. I'll say that. Yeah. yeah, uh, It's not as well shot as the first film, but it's very stale, I think. And it's in its cinematography. So after the opening scene, you get or the opening scene, you get you're you're inside the, the cabin, the female cabin. And these girls that are in this cabin each look about 50. They are the oldest looking <laughs> teenagers. Angela is the youngest looking one. I'm, I swear to God, she really is. Um, but we find out that Angela is the counselor at this camp rolling hills. And she's in charge of this female cabin. And we have all these different characters. And the first one that we get our focus on is Allie. And boy, do we get focus on her. Well, yes, because she is laying in her bed with her arms wrapped behind her head and she's completely topless. Her tits are out. This girl is never... Okay, she and... She and... uh, What's the other one's name? Mel? Between Allie and Mel, you see more of their breasts over the course of the film than I would say you see their faces, especially Mel. Mel's face has barely any camera time. But her tits, I swear to God, she's her boobs are in 20% of the movie. Even in a series of photos, she has her shirt up. You don't even see her face. You just see her rack. Um, this movie is... Oh, are you talking about, are you talking about Mare? Oh, Mare, yeah, Mare. 
Oh, that's okay. That's Mel. I'm Mel there. I'm so well, really like she's a a blob of blonde hair with boobs that has like about three lines. She does not leave an impression with me, nor do most of these very trashy looking people. They are horrible looking. But I do want we have to acknowledge this because it's going to become very apparent as we talk about this movie. They thought this is something the screenwriters thought they were pretty clever because every character in this film is named after one of the 80s brat pack. Which gets exhausting and gets a little bit eye-rolling. You have Allie, you have Mare, you have Phoebe, you have Molly, you have Anthony, you have Judd, you have uh, Sean, you have, uh, I know I'm, Rob. You have all of the characters are named after those 80s, you know, Breakfast Club slash Pretty in Pink slash St. Elmo's Fire actors. It's like ridiculous. That's so desperate. It is. And then like, (laughs) but they do the same thing. We're not talking about part three until the end. We'll mention it briefly, but part three does the same thing. They name all the characters like after the Brady bunch. I'm like, come on. Um, Anyway. So Allie is played by uh, actress named Valerie Hartman, who has not really done much since then. And it's, uh, it's interesting because she is probably the best part of this movie, but She's wondering where Phoebe is, and Angela comes out and says that she had to send Phoebe home because Phoebe was fornicating with the boys last night. And then she tells, you know, she tells uh, Allie to cover up, cover her breasts. She's like, Allie, we can all agree that you have very nice breasts, but would you please put a shirt on? And (laughs) Allie's like, well, I always sleep naked. And Angela's like, well, nice girls don't have to show it off. I mean, you know immediately the whole shtick they're going to go with of like anybody who who does something wrong or goes against the rules will be punished by Angela. Like they couldn't beat you over the head with it more if they tried. Uh, it's very obvious what the story is going to be here. And it makes it fall, unfortunately, into like a storyline that literally simply consists of here's a character. What have they done wrong? How will they die? Here's a character. What have they done wrong? And how will they die? That's the story. There's not much more to it. Um, but yeah, uh, go on. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I was going to say, and then outside of the cabin, you have these two boys, the, the youngest looking boys of the group. The, uh, their names the are children. <laughs> they, yes. They actually look about 10. They, and their names happen to be, I roll. Here we go. It's Charlie and Emilio. Oh my God. And look, and they're both platinum blondes. So the Emilio, they I don't are. know where that came from. They are the worst actors and, in the entire universe. And their nickname is the Tit Patrol, as they the tit as they Patrol. establish by just lying on these del- women. They deliver their lines in the most awkward way. It's like, did the director do multiple takes, or was it just like because they're horrible? These kids are spying on these women. You would think that they would be like, you know, really pumped about how great Ali's rack is because. This really, she, they are not pristine yeah, yeah, yeah. breasts. Um, but so, and 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 he like <laughs> his friend like lowers him off his shoulders. And very matter of fact, he's like another one for the tit patrol. And I'm like, <laughs> these children are so desensitized to these breasts. It's they, probably because these women are constantly topless. They, that these kids, oh well, these we kids don't even care. They, <laughs> no, they don't. They have a whole fucking photo album of nothing but. I mean, tits there's no effort from, that they have to put in to get it to see these no. women topless. These women would gladly just expose themselves to these young prepubescent boys. <laughs> I, and they do, and they do, especially Mare. Um, <laughs> Poor Mare. She really gets taken uh, advantage of by the like by the camera in this movie. <laughs> like, <it's laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and it's now it's breakfast time, and at, they are in the mess hall. I guess is what you call it, the breakfast hall. I don't know what to call. It. I don't know. And Allie um, it makes a comment about the oatmeal. Her oatmeal looks as gross as the shit sisters. Now there are these two sisters in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Troy, if you and I ever do a duo Halloween. We're going as the shit sisters. Yes. These are some rough looking gals and you and I don't even need to shave. I'm worried about these two. Like if I were camping with these girls, I would be concerned for their health. They are belligerently stoned. They are violently stoned to the point that they can't even make basic delivery of dialogue. Like (laughs) Their eyes are permanently closed the entire film. They can't function. They just laugh and It's the shot sisters, but I guess their nickname is, is it, the shit sisters. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they are some rough looking. I, I want to know where they got these girls. I, why are these girls at camp? First of all, what are they what doing I, <laughs> here? Like, I mean, like, I mean, the sense of like, what drugs? How do they procure these? They're on acid or something. Like, this isn't just marijuana. These girls are on the verge of passing out. One of them eventually does. So, and <laughs> as you'll learn, but yeah, the shit sisters—they really leave a lasting impression. <laughs> yeah and so the word around the the word around the the breakfast hall is that phoebe got sent home and everyone's pissed at angela and one of the guys says oh well i don't know how you can how do you put up with that bitch and this is the first time molly the character of molly molly ringwall <laughs> who is actually renee estevez who we know from covering intruder all those episodes ago oh, back a classic. and i'm i'm wondering if because her in real life, her brothers are uh, Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez. I'm wondering if in the script, like the characters' names were like something different, and then they had her come on board and like, oh my god, you know, it'd be an awesome idea is to name all the characters after your brother, the the brat pack of the '80s. Because they know, know the only people that are going to be really watching this, other than the people who are vaguely interested in seeing this new take on Sleepaway Camp, is the people that are watching this for the fact that you are a sibling. Of Emilio Estevez, Renee Estevez, but she's and we have to, she is, and we have to mention Pamela Springsteen is Bruce Springsteen's oh sister God. in real life, and you can physically tell because she looks like him. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. she, I mean, the girl's got choppers for days. Ugh. Some of the best teeth I've ever seen. Yeah, so Molly's like, well, she's not that bad, and this is when Allie says, "I think she's a dyke." Yeah, another another slur, and we're only like five minutes into the movie. <laughs> And now we get probably the most famous, I would say, the well, one of the two most famous scenes from the film for some reason is when Angela gets called up to sing and she's made counselor of the week and she's going to sing. Is, is that a thing? Is that a thing? I, I get, they've only been, they've, that was very well established. They've only been at camp for two days because the night before Angela says that she's taking Phoebe away. She's like, we've only been here two days and you're already getting in trouble. And, but now she's a counselor of the week. Okay. What has she done to establish that she deserves this title? I don't know. She sent Phoebe home and they made her counselor of the week. She gets Molly and Allie on stage to come up and sing. I'm a happy camper with her. And at first Allie's very hesitant, but Allie actually has a huge crush on Sean, who is very into Molly. But you really have a, you really have the, Shy, good girl, very goody two-shoes girl, which is Molly, going against the promiscuous cheerleader, popular girl in Allie. And it's yeah. 
they try to they try to Judy her. They let's. I was just gonna say that it, it's very apparent that she is supposed to be the Judy of this film. However, she's not because she is not nearly as vitriolic or bitch, bitchy as Judy. Actually, I find Allie to be very endearing for a lot of reasons, very charming. Um, and I'll get to it. I'll get to it. But you you really didn't. You don't really see a lot of female characters like her from 80 slashers. And I'll get to that. Why I say that in a few minutes, but, um, so they start to sing the, I'm a happy camper song. I'm a happy camper. I'll camp until I die. I don't know all the words, Roger. You can chime in here, but they're doing the hand movements and, and all that fun stuff. And they're just having a gay old time singing this happy camper song that I'm one. Was this a real song or was this just made for the movie? I really don't know. I don't know. I think that I really, I feel like maybe this is like the theme of their, their specific camp is what I was figuring. But I will say this whole sequence, and I'm sure this is something a lot of people who watch this think, um, this sequence does a good job of cre- establishing a, a core cast yeah. and making them likable. Yeah. Like this is a, a reasonably likable cast. This is, uh, for the most part, uh, the focal lead characters are pretty solid in their roles there are some supporting actors who we'll get there we'll get there um there's a few people who have one or two lines that really it's it's a rough it's a rough delivery but um the core cast is really endearing and another thing that this movie has i would say that does kind of tie into the first film is i feel the first film had a lot of characters that I really was like, I want to, I want to follow the story. I want to kind of focus in on these specific characters. Are all of them likable? No, but the ones that matter, are they likable? Yeah. Um, and this movie does continue that vibe. Yeah, yeah, you do get a, you do get a very um, wide spectrum of characters here. I, I really like, I like Allie. I like Molly, although she's a little boring. Uh, I like Sean just because I. Mm. Uh, and then Rob, the blonde, I like him. He's a pretty charming character. And you get Demi, the the African American girl, who's who doesn't have a lot to do until like the end of the film, and she's pretty fun. Uh, and then of course she's she's like the Lisa. Trump. Yeah, yeah, she's yes, very very much so. And then Mare, who's a blast, but again doesn't last very long. Um, so you do get a, a really nice group of of kids that you can really follow along with and really start to somewhat care about as much as you can in this 78 minute slasher film because this film is short and it goes by fast i think the pacing in this film is is really strong it it, it flies by it flies by yeah so as breakfast ends and they sing the song tc does here's another little nod to the first film which again really nice touches just I wish it wasn't attached to the first sleepaway camp. But as Angela is walking, TC comes up to her and asks her to go swimming. Now we know from the first film how Angela feels about swimming. So Angela's like, no, I, I'm not a very good swimmer. Uh, which again, very subtle, you know, tie into the first film. Just simply asking her to go swimming. Uh, and then he's like, well, I want you to, I want you to, I want to meet with you to talk about what happened, happened to Phoebe. And she's like, not interested in, in TC at all. She's like, eh, I'll call you and walks away. To which he has a great line that I honestly, I think is great just because he delivers it. Well, he says, how are you going to call me? I don't have a phone. <laughs> and I, I will say that TC has several of the moments in the film where I'm like, Oh, that's some strong acting. Almost every time I had that thought, it was him. Um, he's not in the movie a ton, but he has some really good understated dialogue, a few like kind of like stinger one-liner moments that just roll off the tongue very naturally. I think he's really good. Yeah. 
Uh, and then you cut to Molly and Sean bonding at the pool, and they're just talking about their home lives. So you find out that Sean's dad was a cop, uh, and his mom left them, so he lives with his dad, and he's, he comes to summer camp just to kind of because it's their free, it's their time away from each other. And then you find out that Molly, on the other hand, her parents are still married. She has three brothers and two sisters, and everyone calls them the Brady Bunch. I. Uh, and the, at the same time, Rob, the blonde kid, uh, is talking to, to Allie, talking himself up. He's like, you realize my little, this town, I'm the best, says I'm the best soccer player out of this town. And she's like, yeah, that's great. And in the meantime, she's taking her bra off under, off under her shirt and she's wearing a white t-shirt. And then she says, which is just odd. She's like, Rob, if you throw me in that water, I swear to God, I'll kill you. And what's he do? He throws her in the fucking water. Throws her in the water. She wanted it, though. She knew exactly what she was doing because she wanted her titties to be shown through that t-shirt. Because when she gets thrown in the water, what is the first thing she does? She swims right over to Sean, gets out of the pool, gets his attention, and her tits are literally... This movie will literally take any chance it can to show off this girl's knockers. Uh, Between her and, again, Mare, who is more nipple and areola than she has facial features in this movie... Uh, any chance they get. This movie is boobs out the wazoo. Another thing, the first movie was not... Yes, the first movie did not have this type yeah. of blatant... Yeah, you can tell that they... When I say dumbed it down, I mean, they just took the, the material and they made it very much like a cliche, like, what do they want in 80s slashers? Let's give them gore. Let's give, give them boobs. Let's give them more boobs. Like, you know, and that is really like, you get it right off the bat with this movie. They are heavy handed with it. Lots of TNA and a lot of death because the deaths kick in right away and they really don't stop. It really is just a matter of like, who's the next victim? Well, and interestingly enough, Sean is not very interested in Allie, which I don't know if I find it realistic or not. I, I don't know. I feel like Allie is much more to me, Allie, if I, if I was a straight guy. Allie would be the, I'd be all over Allie. I'd be kind of, Molly is just kind of, eh, whatever. But Allie has just the personality, the the looks, the tits, the everything. And Molly's character, I, I hate to be mean, but just doesn't, she's not interesting. She's like mopey. She has this night, this hot guy that's like, that likes her. And she's just like, throughout the whole film, she just doesn't seem very excited or happy. She's just like, eh. They always say that a man wants what he can't get. And yeah. I think Molly is very much, she gives off, like, if you think of any tie-ins to the original movie, she's very much, if, you know, if, if Allie is the Judy, then Molly is the energy of the Angela, of the yeah, shy and unattainable, and, uh, you know, not neither of them are to the extreme. None of the characters no. are as extreme as the first movie, but they both kind of give off the energy of, like, this is this, is this film's variation of that trope. Um, and I do think that's why he has a thing for her, is because she does come off as kind of pure. And Allie is literally just tits to the wind, whatever she can. Yeah, Allie fucks ever anything she can get her. Put, it's astonishing. Her, uh, it is yeah. astonishing how much sex this girl has in a summer camp. But yeah, so he's not interested. So him and him and uh, Molly get up and go leave, and you can tell that uh, uh, Allie's pissed, but she sucks it up. Then we get. The scene with the shit sisters, shot sisters, shot shit. I'm going to call them the shit sisters because these they're they're like in the woods, drinking and smoking pot and like making out with this guy. 
and they're they're singing some variation of the happy camper song where she's like you can um what she say uh you can suck my tits or yeah so you can suck my tits like wait she's yeah, she said something about sucking tits, of course, because what else do they do? Exactly. And Angela catches them and she she makes the guy go away. She's like, get out of here. And he's like in the middle of fucking the ones, the one girl. And the, the shot transitions into you don't really see how she gets the the sisters to where they end up being. I, I don't know if they are supposed to assume they passed out. I guess you're supposed to assume they passed out from the drugs, right? Um, so now they wake up and one of them wakes up and she, she sits up and she's like looking right at the burnt skeleton of her sister. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty great to be like, that was a pretty cool uh, moment. The fact that like, he was like, Whoa, we're going this extreme. I see. Yeah. Well, okay, and, and plus the girl's tied up, <laughs> tied up on this big, like barbecue grill. And Angela, of course, is giving her little spiel about, you know what? It's okay to fuck up your own life, but you fucked up your sisters too. And, let this be a lesson to she's like douses her with gasoline. Don't do drugs and lights the girl on fire while she's alive. Pretty brutal, but that's the that's the shit sisters. Yeah. Yeah, and she makes yeah, she makes that line about say no to drugs. <laughs> and um I will say like every once in a while um uh, Springsteen will deliver a line that sounds almost like her pause is like awkwardly placed. Like I don't know if you noticed this like every once in a while I'm kind of like mm. Was that like, did they tell you to say it that way and it just didn't click exactly? I mean, she's pretty good. She's pretty good. But sometimes there's a little awkwardness that comes through with some of these one-liners. And I think it, it's this, the fact that it's one-liners in general. Like this character, in my mind, doesn't really lend herself to one-liners because she's not really a joke or the character's not a funny character. She's not a shtick. So then you're trying to make her funny, but like, whereas Freddy Krueger, you know, you started with that from the beginning. This one, like her backstory does not lend to humor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, no, just an interesting little tidbit. Apparently, apparently they, they, they auditioned Felissa Rose for this particular film to bring her back. And the issue they had with her was her delivery of the one-liners uh, was not as uh effective or, or comedic as they wanted so uh, so yeah that's a that's a little piece of trivia that i saw on imdb and i don't know how different of a film it would have been if they brought felissa rose back um i i, I guess it wouldn't have been any a worse yeah <laughs> uh, yeah i mean maybe maybe i mean not yeah. if, maybe i mean if they were still going to go this rap with the film i don't know um whether you know what i think i think felissa possessed a darker how can I word this? It's like a deep-seated, darker aspect uh, to her character in the sense of you knew that the wheels were turning inside even when you weren't hearing it. Yeah. Uh, and with this... With this, but, but do you think she would have done it with this material? That's the problem. I don't know. I would have liked to have seen it. I yeah. wonder if she yeah, 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 done yeah. No, it in I... a way that... But again, if, yeah, it is, it, they want, if they wanted humor with this, I guess I don't... And another thing, and I don't, I mean, we were going to get into this at the end, but we might as well say say it here, is, you know, this film and Sleepaway Camp 3 were filmed back to back. Like, they were filmed literally back to back. That was how they got the funding for the films, is they agreed to do two of them, and it was back to back. Now, they filmed in the exact same location. I mean, there was no break. It was literally back to back. I don't know if you've seen the third one. Have you seen Sleepaway Camp 3? 
I've not. Okay, I'm, I'm not going to cover it, but uh, it'll never be one of my picks. But it is even, in my mind, it is even more, it, uh, it amps up the comedy even more. So, again, I don't know if Felissa Rose necessarily would have been able to, you know, how that would have transitioned, knowing that in the first film she plays a character so stoically and effectively to now make it into, like you just said, a joke. Trying to make it into a joke. Uh, the, because the third film falls completely flat for me, I think. I mean, it's there's no reason. it's It has some creative death scenes, but other than that, it's, yeah. So, yeah, she burns the sh- shot sisters to death. Yeah, this is funny. It cuts to some scene where there's like red paint all over the floor and you think it's blood and then you get some little bratty bitch. This girl cannot act her way out of a plastic bag. This is one of the ones. When I was talking about. This is one of them. I want to go home. Let me go home. Yeah, the, the same. The, it's the like the inflection. Like, let me go home. Like, who speaks like that? Child? Child actress? Yes, and Angela's like, don't, don't you like to paint? No, I want to go home. Let me go home. It's just over. And like, okay, get the bitch out of here. Please, get her out of here. Now. I, I'm sure <laughs> she was fabulous in her grade school production of Annie, but she doesn't need to be giving this dialogue on screen. No. Well, and Angela makes a funny comment. She's like, well, I think I can arrange that. And you're like, oh, shit, she's going to kill this little girl. But no, her parents come and pick her up. And Angela's like, well, maybe we'll see you next year. And she's like, not a chance. Don't touch me. <laughs> yeah. like, get your hands off of me. Like, like she like pulls herself away from Angela. She's a little cunt. <laughs> but you know what? She's smart. She got her ass out of the lot. Oh, she would have been dead. She would have been dead. She would end. She would end up in an outhouse. Trust me. She she turned up like Leah. <laughs> like you know, you know Leah who just walks into the room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we'll get to Leah in a minute. Oh, poor yeah. Leah. <laughs> yeah. So Uncle John. Oh, okay. So. There is the camp owner in this fit one. Everyone calls him Uncle John, apparently. Um, Uncle John is like to Angela. He's like, well, we he's like, oh, well, there's one that wants. There's always one of them that wants to go home. So now we now it's what he say. He said it's 30, 39 down or one down, 39 to go. And Angela's like, well, actually, it's 37 to go because I had to send the shots, the shit sisters home, shot sisters home. And he's like, oh, Angela. Oh, Angela. Please talk to me or TC before making that decision, Angela. Oh, Angela. And she's like, oh, like I just did? He's like, oh, yeah, okay. He's wearing like a drug rug. You know what I mean? A dr- you know, you listeners know what I mean when I say a drug rug. It's one of those things that you buy at like a hemp store. And it's he's dressed like an old stoner. So I don't know if maybe he's just forgetful. And he, about ha- he has the most aristocratic voice the way he talks, too. I'm like, is, what are you doing? You're not in You're not in a Shakespeare production, dude. You're in Sleepaway yeah. Camp. <laughs> At one point, he says, he cuts to him. He's like, you're fired. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, yeah. His voice is like bellowing from his gut. It's really powerful. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then it's the night. And the boys decide they're going to go into the girls' cabin for a panty raid. Uh, I mean, nowadays, this would be an issue. At any location, be it a camp, an well, office. Well, yeah, because these, <laughs> these boys are literally, the scene is hilarious. These boys come in and they're like raiding the girls' drawers, taking their bras, taking their panties, sniffing them. And like poor fucking uh, Leah is trying to get her underwear back from the Judd and like Allie's on top of fucking one of them on his back as he's running around with her panties. Sean is just sitting there having a pleasant conversation with Molly. <laughs> They're so sensible. Well, all these sensible. Leaves. While all this chaos is going on, 
And then Angela walks in. Oh my god, Angela's such a fucking wet blanket. She is. And what if she says, Uncle John is going to hear about this. I'd be like, bitch, shut the fuck <laughs> up and go get laid. It's easy enough at this place. Everyone's getting boned. She really, she just needs a stiff dick and a glass of whiskey. She does. She's so uptight. And she's, um, and she yells at poor Sean. He, she's like, you know, get out of here. And he's like, you know, they weren't doing anything. They're just having fun. He's like, she's like, get out. Real, real mean. And then she's like, I hate being the wicked witch of the West. No, shut the <laughs> fuck up. You love it. Yeah. You love it. She's, she's in the background. Like, mm, yes, they'll listen to me. Like, go oh, fuck yourself, Angela. <laughs> That's another problem with this Angela. And a lot of times, yeah, she's funny when she's making her one-liners, but she's such a bitch. Man, she's such a bitch. She's always coming in and ruining the fun. Yeah, she really is not... It's so funny, you're right, because while she has this like humorous streak to her, her a, a tolerance for any sort of fun or enjoyment is just non-existent. So the girls want to get the boys back, and they want to go raid their jocks, jock straps. And of course, Molly's like, well, do we have to do it tonight? Because Angela's already so mad. And everyone's like, oh, fuck her, we're doing it. So... They uh, they go to the boys' cabin and they're in the cabin like taking jock straps. They have uh, Rob on the floor and they're putting spraying him with whipped cream. And of course, TC, being the cool counselor that he is, just walks out and he's like, "Okay, just let me know when it's over." He doesn't care. And then of course, you know, Mayor is asking where her bra is, and they're like, "You're never gonna get it back." And she's like, "Well, fine." If I can't find it, you're going to be seeing a lot more of these. And she lifts her top up and shows her tits. Right? Because that's all she's capable yes, of Yes, and it's right at the exact moment when Angela walks in. She's She is the equivalent of the Debbie Downer skits from SNL. Like, uh, anytime there's any form of joy in this, she just enters the scene and she's like, what are you doing? Oh, oh I'm so boring. Like, and she gets so pissed about it. Ugh. Yeah, and so just because Mara's got her flipper floppers out and she gets pissed off about it. Like, and yeah, she's driving. The next scene, she's driving her home, apparently. Uh, and she's like, you know, Mayor, I know you, you know, I know you didn't know any better. I'd really like you to come to our, to our uh, bonfire tonight. I know you were just doing it because you were trying to impress everybody, especially Allie. And Mayor is like, no, I wasn't. And, um, oh, and it's funny because Angela calls her Mary instead of Mayor. She's like, she's like, I hate my, my name's Mayor. And Angela's like, well, okay, I, I don't want to take you home if you just apologize. This will all be good. And Mary's like, well, I'd rather die first. Well, Angela stops the car and reaches in the back seat. And it's funny. I, I do like this. I do think it's funny because Mary's like, what are you looking for? A gun? <laughs> and Angela pulls a drill out. She's like, no, a drill. And drills the bitch to death in the front seat of the car. A very exaggerated drill. It is huge. Like It's massive. And I'm like, where the fuck did this come from? Like, what does she have back there? An entire, like, massive uh, toolkit or something? I don't know. I guess that makes sense. She's, on a, she's at a campground. But still, like, this drill is huge. Yeah, well, because the very next scene, it's, T- it's, the, it's them at the breakfast hall again. And TC is going over a list of things that are missing. And a drill is one of them. Rope, car battery. All these things are missing. And jock straps, of course. Oh, darn. 
Yeah, right. Guess who took those? Me. (laughs) (laughs) And then Molly, Molly finds Angela sitting outside this abandoned cabin. And I'm wondering if we're supposed to think that this is a cabin from Camp Arrowick. I'm assuming. I'm assuming. Yeah. I definitely think so. And she tells Angela she followed her there. And Molly starts to talk to Angela about liking Sean and how it's a problem because Allie likes Sean too. And Allie's just way more experienced and just prettier and a cheerleader. And Angela's like, well, I used to be so shy. I wouldn't talk to anybody. And now you can't get me to shut up. Ain't that the truth? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, right. But yeah, again, this whole scene is very much, I think, just kind of alluding to things from the first movie. You get Yeah, because she's like she's yep. still a virgin and she's proud of it. Um and she still thinks that boys really like nice girls. Uh and again, it, it does tie it, it does kind of play off of the whole Paul and Angela relationship in the first film. Because remember, Paul and Angela we thought were you're going to be this cute little couple. And then you have Judy that inserts herself into the mix. So Angela definitely has experience dealing with liking a boy that another more popular, prettier girl likes. And I think that's what you're supposed to, uh, that's what you're supposed to kind of connect to when she's talking about this. And then she does mention her aunt. She does mention her aunt. She's like, and my aunt had this saying that I always think about. And it's, Keep your morals strong and you'll never go wrong. That's something Aunt Martha would oh, say. Oh, absolutely. Right? With a smirk on her face, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. We got to say, because, yeah, we right after we did our Sleepaway Camp episode, it was, what, a couple days later? Yeah, yeah we found out that the actress that played Aunt Martha, Aunt Martha Desiree Gould, passed away. Yeah. So sad. We lost rest a good one. Peace. We lost a good one. Uh, one of the best... Uh, Briefest yet most memorable characters in the film. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Left an impression. Um, mm-hmm. But but and a few things about this whole moment that I I do enjoy. Uh, aside from the Martha line and the the location, it does give you a lot of vibes of the original film. You enter the sequence and she's humming to herself, mm-hmm. and that's very much alluding to the finale of the original film and um, the overall relationship with her and Molly. I, I think Molly is kind of bland, but one thing I do appreciate is what she sees in Molly is like the positive traits. And I think the reason that that's kind of, she's kind of modeled after her, you know, the Angela character from the first movie is because I think Angela is, is uh, drawn to that. And I think that mm-hmm. she sees that in Molly and she's really trying to preserve that. And I do find that to be a really interesting relationship she has with Molly. I wish it was explored even more in this film. Um, because uh, it's one of the few like layered, textured relationships you get in this movie. There are not many. There is not a lot of like depth or nuance to this film. But I do think this relationship here, there's more to it than meets the eye. And I appreciate that she has these moments with her a few times. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it, it definitely should have been explored more. I think the ending of the film would have been a little bit more effective if there was a better relationship between Molly and Angela built. You see that the filmmakers were trying to do it. They just didn't give us enough. And again, I'm not complaining because this this film is short and it goes by really quickly. Um, so, but again, I just, I keep wanting to go back to this. I, 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 
it's awesome that they connected. They they did all of these little things to connect to the first film. Yeah. To let us know, yes, this is a sequel. So it just again, it just boggles my mind that they changed the tone of the film so drastically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. I wonder if they purposely added that those kinds of moments in because they knew they were taking it such a different route, and in order to like, I guess, appease the fans of the original film, they wanted to make sure they're like, well, at the end of the day, it's still very much in the same within the same storyline, even though it's like it's it's, it's the same painting but it's painted by a different artist you know yeah um yeah. so i wonder if they really they paid attention to a lot of these little details because yeah you see it scattered all throughout little things little hat tips to the first movie acknowledgements of the first film and the storyline uh which i do appreciate as well yeah i do too because they are virtually non-existent in the third film yeah. um and i don't <laughs> yeah then they are, there's a cute little scene or a funny little scene where they're like having the kids go and stick their hands in like these like buckets and trying to, dis, trying to figure out what is inside the bucket and Angela's bucket when and people are sticking their hands in it. She's like, it's dead teenagers brains. And that, um, other counselor that has nothing to do in the film except to get stabbed and, and walk around with her short haircut. What's her name? Diane. Diane's. Diane. Oh, she's such a Diane. Diane. Yeah. She's like, what's really in there? And Angela's like dead teenagers brains. I just, it's funny. Cause you know, it really is. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. I, yeah. It's dumb. Whatever. And even like with there's, this is super subtle, but in this specific moment, <laughs> cause it's this, this whole Halloween kind of thing where like people are going around blindfolded, having to put their hands in and uh, people, whoever's holding the bucket, they tell them what they're feeling, you know? And so like, so it's what spaghetti or whatever it is, but if all the counselors are really into it. They're like, Ooh, you're feeling eyeballs. <laughs> and then Angela's, she's like very, just matter of fact, she's like dead teenager uh-huh. brains. And it just, it shows how socially like inept she is because she really like, you know, her upbringing was obviously weird. She's been through the trauma of, I don't know, killing multiple people. So uh, she has no idea how to like blend or uh, connect with people. She's very awkward, which I actually kind of like that. Yeah, she she is definitely a awkward awkward character. Um and again, I think it, it Pamela Spring, Springsteen brings a lot of that awkwardness to the character just because she's just she's just an awkward looking and I don't mean this in a bad way. She's she's just kind of a so she's just kind of an awkward looking, you know, character to begin with or person to begin with just with her big big teeth and you know frizzy hair and yeah angela did not evolve to be a sexy she did not and that's another thing is they don't look they don't no, look anything don't. alike felissa rose and pamela springsteen looks z- zero right alike right. at all there's not even not even anything even down similar. to like the hair color and everything like it, it, they really didn't try to match it which you think you would think they would have, but whatever. Right, right. Then the two guys, I think it's Judd and I don't know. Just pick a name. Uh, it's uh, is it Anthony? Anthony, it's Anthony, Anthony yeah, yeah, who's also a weird looking. Pick a name. Pick a name. Pick, pick a, a name. name. Whatever. I don't know. Uh, Judd and Anthony are painting a Freddy mask, a hockey mask, a Freddy mask, a Freddy glove and a hockey mask because they are going to scare the shit out of Angela tonight at the camp out or at the bonfire. And it's so, it's so, it's so, so, it's so cute that these two boys think that they're going to scare Angela with, you know, a homemade hockey mask and, and Freddy glove, but they have no idea what they're getting. They have no idea. 
Oh, and then the next scene is the two boys, Anthony, not God, these names, Emilio and Charlie are sitting inside the little cabin and they are looking at all of their Polaroids that they have taught, that they've taken. And again, these kids guys are the worst actors in the world. And they're looking and they're like, Oh, look at this. I got her when she got out of the shower. And Angela happens to walk by and she comes in the room and she's like, what are you guys looking at? And they're like, oh, nothing. And she's like, well, show me. <laughs> and they give her the Polaroids and she's going through them. And it's just it's topless. One topless picture after another of all the female campers. And then there is one of Angela as she's pulling off her shirt and she's just in her bra. And she's like, <gasps> and she's like, Uncle John is going to hear about this. And she storms out. <laughs> And they just sit there with, like, solemn faces, like, hmm, not a lot of concern. Like, and these children really don't know how to express emotion. They do, well, no, <laughs> they have that, the one, the one, they have that stupid moment where it's just awful. If I was the director or if the editor, I just would have cut it out because it's so bad. The one's like, was Angela's picture in there? And the other one's like, yeah. And they're both like, oh, shit. It's so horrible. <laughs> womp, womp. Yeah. <laughs> there we are again. <laughs> I would have, I'm serious. I would have cut it out. I would have said, okay, just edit yeah. that out because it's awful. Uh, so the campfire, they're at the campfire that night and Angela had to go find her pillow and the guys are crawling around the woods dressed as Freddie and Jason. And I don't know about this scene <laughs> because I, I just, Anyway, so why is it he's one of them's crawling around on the ground because he lost his glove, his Freddy glove. And Judd is like, well, I'm going to go. You find your glove. And he's it's so it's Anthony's crawl and he comes upon a log and he sees the glove on top of the log and he goes, crawls towards it. And he's like, oh, my glove. And all of a sudden the hand comes up. Somebody's wearing the glove and cuts his throat open. Yeah. And it's a pretty good effect, but it is the longest, the single longest throat cut I've ever seen in my life. It, he just keeps moaning <laughs> and groaning and grabbing his throat. I'm like, God, just die. Die already. Well, I want to know how, <laughs> so how sharp did he make this, this glove? Apparently pretty sharp. I mean, if, if he was really planning on scaring Angela and she, I don't know, took it to the authorities, she could say, these individuals were blatantly trying to kill me. Those are real razors. So I don't know, uh, a bad choice. And they get their, uh, Comeuppance. Which I have an issue with. <laughs> I wonder why. It's so Well, yeah, because then Aunt, then Judd is walking and the somebody jumps out in front of him with a chainsaw and like a leather like it's leather face, obviously, because they they're wearing this like leather face type mask. And she basically chainsaws Anthony or chainsaws Judd to death in the woods. How, how nobody heard the chainsaws beyond me. Or the screams, or the screams of, murder. of murder. Because he like sees her coming, and like she saws his legs, so he collapses, and he starts just screaming. There's so many death scenes that like people like respond to, like visceral death scenes that people are just screaming their guts out. Like the one um, sister, like the one shit sister, when she gets set ablaze, she's scream like she's wailing and it's like groaning and it's very loud how nobody heard these screams i have no idea well we did forget i'm just looking because i did make a note of it we did we did forget that judd does say as he's looking for anthony hey faggot where are you 
oh, don't you worry. This was definitely about to come into yeah. conversation. Okay, good. Because again, here's the thing. Here's the difference between this film and the first film. The first film it does not do that at all. It does not have, I think the first film, even when, it, even when it's going gay, which it does, I think it does it very tastefully. Oh, this film has every fucking gay slur you can think of. Dyke, queer, faggot. I almost feel like Troy, and I don't know if this is taking it too far, but I almost feel that because of the blatant, obvious shift in tone from first film to second, leaning into a more comedic comedic angle, I wonder, and I may be going out on a limb with this, but I wonder, I wonder if they almost felt that the first movie was too gay because it is pretty open-minded. There's a gay couple and there's a trans character. Well, I mean, we used the term trans lightly, but, you know, her story is, like I said, it's sympathetic. It's never... it's never approached as being something where they're like, oh, ew, uh, you know, they, it's just a fact of the matter. It just exists. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and that's what it is. Yeah. It's shocking, but it exists. This movie, I almost wonder if they're like, oh, dude, like we're going to make a sequel to Sleepaway Camp, but like the first one was too gay and it's 1988. So we better make sure to make this less gay. Let's have like less sympathetic trans characters and more faggot and queer jokes to appease the masses. Well, I'm wondering, I don't know. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't know anything about Michael A. Simpson and I know very little about Robert, Robert Hiltzik, the director and writer of the first one. I'm just wondering if it's, it's a, it's as simple as Robert Hiltzik was, is a very open, open to homosexuality. He's, he's an ally. He has no issue with it. Whereas Michael A. Simpson maybe isn't so much. He's more of like the, like you were saying, maybe like the bro, hey bro, let's do this. You know. Or at least at that time, like, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that either one of them. I'm just making it. You just have to go with what you're given from what they gave us. So uh, I feel like the first one definitely handled homosexuality and all of the queerness much better than this one. Yeah, I feel like this one was really trying to avoid coming off as too... Dare I say queer, too gay, too queer. Yeah. But here's the thing. Another thing is, okay, so the whole shtick here is Angela kills people that are bad, right? I mean, which kind of a leap because the first film, she, I mean, I guess she killed people that were bad, but she mainly killed people that were mean to her. So in this film, it's established that she's killing people that she thinks are bad kids, right? Because there is even that line where Uncle John is talking about, you know, there's not very many good kids anymore. And he and she's like, well, yeah, there is. You just have to weed out the bad. So in her mind, she is killing kids that are bad, that sleep around, that do drugs, that are promiscuous. You know, what did these two boys do that was so bad besides try to play a prank on her? Right. I mean, there to me that did not justify being having your throat slit open and chainsawed to death. Yeah. All they were doing, they were trying to like. I thought they were. I don't even think it was malicious. They were trying to have some fun. Yeah. They were going to scare her. She finds out about it, and her response is to slit their throat and to gut them with a chainsaw. Yeah. To me, that does not mesh with the whole motive or the rest of the film. These two care. The, t- the the deaths of these two characters make zero sense in the in the grand scheme of what we are presented why Angela is killing people. No, I really think honestly this death is here to just 
awkwardly provide another pop culture reference. Like you said, there's the names of all the characters that are straight from the Brat Pack. There is a kill in this movie in which three characters are dressed like other iconic killers from other iconic slashers. So like they're really trying to like lean into that as hard as they can and establish a fan base with this movie, you know? But yeah, because if you're just going by the 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 outline that this film is presenting us that Angela's killing people that are bad, then these two kids should not have gotten killed because these two kids actually were probably the two, you know, they were the two most realistic, like teenage characters in the film. Uh, they never, you know, they never, I mean, it's just odd. I don't know. I'm sorry. I thought about that. No, it's, no, it's no. Really weird. It's, it's really easy to ramble about this film in general. Cause there are so many things that like, there's so many things, very little details that connect. And then there's tons of things that I think they really missed the mark. And even like leaning into, there's something they start addressing here and you don't get a ton of it, but they start leading into like her extreme Christianity. And, oh, yeah, and which, that's another thing, but they don't touch on it that much. It's just like, like, let's, I feel like it's everything in the kitchen sink mentality. I feel like they're basically like, okay, well, we got to create a backstory for her beyond the, the whole sex change aspect. Let's make sure that we also make her extreme Christian and she kills just people for being bad in general. And she, you know, you don't want to wrong Angela because she'll kill you. Like they really, like I said it earlier, but I feel like they're really trying to freddy her. So after she dispatches Judd and Anthony, she goes back to the girls and they're, they have a sweet little moment where they all jump on her and they're like, they take the mask off and it's Angela and, and all the girls are like, oh, it's so cool that you do something like this. <laughs> and Angela's like, well, where's Allie? And they're like, well, she went to the bathroom because she has cramps and we cut to the bathroom and what she is doing is she is screwing Rob in the most, Violent. I was just going to say, I have written down here, the most aggressive fucking i've seen in mind this bitch is throwing him up against the wall she's shoving his face down between her pussy making him eat her out he, she won't let him she won't even let him get a gasp of breath for crying out loud she's whole god i feel i thought that was gonna be a kill sequence between oh her my god she would not let him get some breath oh my god but you know what good for them and like oh to be young again yeah. And then Angela shows up and I think it's funny. The door's locked and you just hear music playing and she's, she tries to saw the door down with the chainsaw and it won't start. So I'm wondering if, you know, if it would have started, would that have been the demise of Molly and Rob, I guess. Um, Oh, absolutely. So Rob hides and Angela or, um, Allie answers the door and she's like, why is this door locked? And, And Allie's like, well, I didn't want any crazy person attacking me. And then she looks at Angela's outfit. She's like, cute, but the blood looks like ketchup. (laughs) <laughs> and walks. I yeah. did like that. I did. Like I mean, that. I like Allie. I think Allie is a very yeah. interesting character. I like that she is a teenage girl that is portrayed as so sexually liberated and aggressive because it's usually not that way. And in fact, there's a scene coming up that is the complete opposite of what you would expect um, from a slasher film or from a female versus male type sexual encounter, which I thought was really cool and really well done. Mm-hmm. But I do, I don't like this next moment because this next moment is doesn't again, it's out of character for, um, for Allie because she runs into Molly and she has such an abrupt shift in how she treats Molly. She's been pretty, favorable and, and, and nice to Molly throughout the whole film. And then all of a sudden out of the blue, Molly's walking and, and said, and Molly says hi to Allie. And Allie's like, you don't have to pretend to like me. I know you hate me just as much as I hate you. 
and you're, you know, has has Sean fucked you yet? Oh, he's a horrible lay. And go tell Angela. I'm sure that Dyke will like to know. It just, it's so out of character for what we've seen from this character. And I know maybe this was their moment where they're like, okay, well, we got to make her be Judy level bitchy, but it doesn't, it doesn't work because it's, it's not the character at all. And it's never approached again. Like after this, she goes right back to being herself. to being the knight. I mean, because Molly is the most. Let's be honest. Molly's the most, or not Molly. Allie is the most. Uh, I've probably I've probably misused their names many times just because. Come on, this film. Molly, Allie, you know what I'm talking about. Allie has is she is the most vocal character, the most foul mouth character, the most you know. But she's never like mean. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there, she's never mean. Even when she says the shit sister, she's not really mean about it. She's laughing and, you know, and then just to give her this moment where she's just has to turn into this total cunt for no reason. It just doesn't, it's out of character. Yeah. And then you, like you said, she goes right back to being, not having an issue with, with, with mom. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like they really like fed this into the script for exactly what you said. And that's when I was saying that they're trying to make her the Judy earlier. It's this, Honestly, in this one scene, like they make her a bitch for one scene, but she's nowhere near bitch level as, you know, as Judy was. Um, she just kind of has this bitchy moment where she's like, you hate me and I hate you. And then it's not really addressed. I mean, there is a scene where you see um, Molly kind of crying over it. But overall, for the most part, like the, the whole turbulence between their characters is not explored. Uh, and they seem pretty okay with each other other than this one moment. So I don't know. I mean, uh, th- there are some very thin character choices that are made over the course of this, which is unfortunate because you have a fun cast. I do feel like yeah. this is a misstep. It was a misstep. It should have been. It shouldn't even have been in the film. Like I said, if I was editing this film, that would have been cut completely. And the little boy is looking at the because just their performance, but um, because it makes no sense. But then Ange, but I guess it does sort of because Molly. It does serve a purpose because Molly's crying and Angela walks in and Molly tells Angela about Allie and that Allie has said mean things to her. Yeah. So it does kind of play into what happens next. Which is the scene where Allie is fucking Rob in the woods. She is riding him like there's no tomorrow. Jesus Christ. Oh, I can't. The stamina. The, the, the stamina this girl possesses. I can't remember the last time I had that much energy in me. Good for her. Good yeah, for her. Tits are, her tits are flopping. She's riding. This boy's in heaven. He doesn't know what's going on. Yeah, I mean, on. they have a shot on his face. Just He's just like drooling. He's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Yeah. He looks like it's like the scene in a scary movie right before the guy like yeah. shoots his load and rockets Anna Ferris to the ceiling, like minus that grand explosion. His face is just like overcome with emotion. <laughs> yeah. Well, she comes and then she gets off of him yeah. and uh, she's like, oh, that was great. Thanks. <laughs> hey, listen, you don't have AIDS or anything, do you? Oh, I love God. that she asks that after she fucks him. I love that. She, not, that, that line again, I, not the most. 
it's a poorly played line, but t- I mean, don't you tell me that as, a, as the grinder generation goes, don't you tell me you haven't had that bit of dialogue after a hookup? Because uh, <laughs> I have asked that question on multiple occasions. Shame on me. <laughs> we have to keep in mind this is 1988. So, I mean, I just think it's funny that she just says it so non after they've already fucked. Yeah. Like, yeah. Well, if he did, it's you're you're screwed, lady. No, I mean, but I got and, gonorrhea, chlamydia, and I got herpes. So. Yeah, he's like, no, and she's like, okay, great, bye. What I what I <laughs> That's do enough for me. <laughs> yes, but what I do like about her is that it's really refreshing to see a teenage girl. Well, what's supposed to be a teenage girl. So like sexually empowered and actually using guys as her sex toys and not the opposite. We're so used to seeing guys use girls and treat them like just sexual objects and be done with yeah. them. How many movies have we seen where that's happened yeah. over and over again? Like Car- Rage, Carrie 2, yeah. all kinds of movies. This one, this bitch is... She's making up for lost time. She is. She just wants to oh fuck. And after she's done, she doesn't want anything. After to she's do. done with this guy, she's right off to the next one. To be honest, she literally, <laughs> she literally is she, because she goes back to do to her cabin and there's a note on her mirror that says, Allie, meet me at the abandoned cabin. Love Sean. Yeah, and this girl doesn't even wet towel it. She doesn't even, no. she doesn't whore bath it. She just goes, she's like, she's got a load in her and she's like, I'm good to go. She's, she's like, where, where, hey, where are we it's, like, <laughs> it's, it's lube. It's lube. It's oh free lube. Yeah. She doesn't have to do anything. This is why this is a gay podcast. <laughs> we sassy today. <laughs> but she literally, yeah, she just flips her hair and she's like, Sean Whitmore, I knew you'd come around. And come around, you will. <laughs> mm. So she goes to the cabin and it's abandoned and she knocks on the door. Nobody answers. And she's like, ah. God damn, Molly. And Molly, Angela comes. Molly's so notorious for playing cruel pranks on Right? It's, yeah, why would Molly even bother? To, but the Angela comes out. She's like, God damn, Angela. And <laughs> Molly's and Angela's like, I knew you'd show up or something. I don't remember the exact dialogue. She's like, uh, you're you're dumber than I thought or something like that. And, and Allie's like, well, you're even more fucked up than I thought. And this is when Angela stabs her twice in the back. Oh, yeah. It's like out of nowhere. And it's pretty graphic. I like this. It is. it is. And then she makes her get up and like pushes her into this old outhouse and holds her head in the toilet, the opening of the outhouse. And she's like, what's down there, Molly? Shit. You know, and it's, just, it's pretty effective. Yeah. She's like, yes, yeah, shit, because you've shit your whole life away. Uh, being a, you're a shitty friend. What else is down there? Piss. Yes, because you pissed your whole life away. What else is down there? I don't know. Leeches, Allie, for a leech like you. And then she just and pushes then she, her in head first. She she pushes her in head first and literally has this big stick and is drowning her in the toilet as Allie pops up occasionally, covered in leeches, gagging, g- gurgling. It is so disgusting. This is this is the point where I realized I was like, you know what, man? For all of the flaws and the, in my opinion the missteps and the bumps in the road along the, the process of watching this movie um the kills in this film are honestly for the most part pretty fucking satisfying this movie mm-hmm. has some really great kill executions and this scene this whole scene from the shock surprise of the stab in the back to the uh whole part of her forcing her into this 
into this uh, outhouse. Like her her delivery of her dialogue in this sequence is great. Like this whole scene is very um creepy and she's really creepy and I feel for Allie because it's a disgusting way to go. She's literally drowning on feces and urine. Yeah, it really is gross. And each time she each time she pops up, she has more and more leeches on her face and she's just gasping even more it's very well done it's very disgusting and it's i mean i don't know i don't think Allie deserved that sort of horrific death but i guess if any character in the film was going to get that sort of brutal disgusting death that obviously was going to be Allie because yeah. she's painted as the b- bad character even though i i like the character quite a bit yeah uh, I think she's played really well. Yeah. Um, you, but, yeah. You know what I will say that I, I feel is even disappointing with her being painted to be like that kind of negative female figure is they really undid a lot of groundwork from making a really cool character. Like you were saying, like a, a sex positive, strong minded woman. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, she ended up just being kind of like another disposable I don't want to say sacrificial lamb, but like the way she went out, it was like, oh, bummer. Like she was, in my opinion, more than that. I think she could have been explored more than that. I would have loved to have seen her been redeeming and come back and helped Molly in some way she performed. Yeah. Like how cool would that have been? But, you know, that was a little too progressive for that time, I feel, you know. Or give her something or give her or you could have, if you were going to kill her off, at least let her have a fight. Yeah, 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 yeah. Instead of just like being blindsided by the stabs in the back. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so after that, Rob wants to know. Rob is worried now because Allie hasn't shown up for a while, and he's worried about. Um, he's he brings up Camp Arawak. He's like, "Do you think that camp next door has anything to do with all these people missing?" And then you get Sean saying, "Well, you know what? I almost went to Camp Arawak. I but you know, last minute I didn't go because something came up." Um, and again, trying to make those connections to the first film, which now are just being like almost shoved down our throat. Yeah, this is the sequel to the first one. Uh, And then the next scene is Demi, the African-American girl who has to this point really had not much to do. Um, She goes in and talks to Angela and she's like, well, hey, Angela, you know, something really weird has happened. She's like, I, you know, I was that dinner and then I thought about I was bored so I, I thought about calling Mayor so I called Mayor her mom answered and said that she's still at camp um, and she's like why well, that's weird so then she calls she's like so then I called Phoebe and wanted to talk to Phoebe and her mom says she's still at camp and at this point Angela's like oh what'd you do what'd you do then and, and she's like well, I didn't want to call I, I didn't want to cause any trouble so I just you know and at this time, at this point, Angela's like walking around the cabin, picking up various weapons. Like it's kind of funny, testing them out. She picks up a hairbrush, uh, yeah. a, a boombox, and raises. You know, um, as Mayor is now just talking a mile a minute about, I guess Phoebe's mom being promiscuous and sleeping around. Um, and it's really a, if this would have been, I wish they would have given this character this to do. A couple more times throughout the film, mm-hmm. because yeah, Demi, if she would have been a bit more of like the gossip of the group, yes, it really would have been really cool to see like her give that more character characterization. Because now we're like supposed to be by that she just talks a mile a minute when she really hasn't done that this entire film. 
So again, it would have been nice to have like one other scene where she just is talking and people are like, oh my God, shut up. You talk too much because she's just yabbering. And finally, Angela pulls a string off her guitar and walks up behind her. And she's like, you know what? You talk too much and proceeds to strangle her with the guitar wire. (laughs) Again, she dies within. She dies within. I was just going to say she dies within seconds. And again, let me ask you this. What did this character do wrong? I guess it was going to expose Angela. But I mean, at this point, Angela has to realize she's going to get exposed anyway. She has killed the entire camp now. You know, yeah, what I mean? a few things that I think I kind of took away from this moment was that, you know, her core goal is to kill people who are bad. But at the end of the day, I think she's also aware that in order to keep doing what she's doing, she's got to be discreet and cover her tracks so i do think that she, there's a certain line there where if she has to kill someone she's going to kill someone regardless of the reasoning so that's something where i kind of had to like put on my blinders with some of this and be like okay some of these deaths are just to keep her you know to keep these murders hush hush for as long as possible um obviously she doesn't do a very good job because they're barely a week into this shit and she's already killed half of the fucking camp. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, so this whole thing, I agree with you. Like I, I was seeing the sequence. I was like, God, I really like this character. This is fun. I wish I would have had more of this from her. I feel like there must've been scenes that maybe were cut for some of these characters because what happens after this, uh, here in a moment too, is another character who's extremely underutilized. Um, and I, I almost forgot they existed. Uh, who comes into the sequence because Angela, she chokes her out and then she starts dragging the body. I do like for once you really see a killer, like what they do with the body after the kill, she's like dragging it through the room and she's figuring out where to put it. And she realizes that um, somebody's approaching. She hears that someone's approaching and she goes out to the door to look around and she does not know that there has a, a, uh, a bucket that has been placed atop the door filled with water that dumps on her. <laughs> she is so pissed. And you know what? Good. Good. I'm happy that those fucking two kids, the two children that look like they're from the the uh, the um, Village of the Damned, pulled that stint, stint on her because she's honestly, she's a pill. I can't handle her. She's such a, a bitch at this point. And I'm happy someone made something happen to her. Well, yeah, and at the same time, Leah, the tattletale, this is the character you're talking about that's extremely underutilized, tries to get into the, the cabin and it's locked. And she's like, I'm going to tell. And then she gets something and she she's able to unlock the door and she comes in and she sees Demi hanging out the window. And she's like, what are you doing? And this is when Angela comes out of the closet with the knife. And Leah's like, well, I didn't do anything. What did I do? And Angela's like, you're going to tell and stabs the shit out of her and kills her. Again, this character is not, this character had nothing to do in this entire film. Like she even says, she specifically says I didn't do anything, which is, I think why they had to add that line in because she's like, I didn't even (laughs) say anything the whole movie. Why am I dying? But, uh, I, I thought it was, I actually thought that moment was kind of funny. And I do think Angela at this point is starting to become creepy as the film's going on. Like she comes out, she's still covered in water from that old bucket sequence. And she's like drenched and she's wild eyed. She looks like a rabid animal. And, uh, uh, she's starting to develop a presence as a killer for me at this point in the movie. Oh yeah. Cause now she's completely yeah. lost it. She's killing everybody. Yeah. Uh, 
Angela or Molly goes in the cabin and Angela's sitting sitting on the bed singing Kumbaya, my love, Kumbaya. And um, Molly walks in and every bed is empty now except hers. And Angela's like, "Well, I guess it's just me and you now. And don't worry, we're still have fun." And Molly's like, "You had to s- you sent everyone home?" And she's like, "Yeah, I didn't have a choice." And Molly, I'm wondering, like, like, how do you not think you're not going to get caught? Like, I just, I don't know. Yeah. And then Angela, there's a scene where Angela's in bed and she's dreaming and she's having all these flashbacks from the movie. And this is really just to pad the running time. But I will say this dream sequence is nightmare fuel because what they do is like they take the footage of her singing like the happy camper song and they slow it down. So she's like. It's terrifying and it's all tinted blue. And like, it is probably one of the scariest moments in the movie, in my opinion, is hearing her sing that song in slow motion. Yeah, it is. But again, it's just, it's re it's just a bunch of, uh, clip compilations from scenes earlier in the movie. I really think they did it just to like pad the running time, but it is pretty, it is pretty effective when they slow down that song. It's the next day, and this is where you get the scene, the cuts to the scene. And all you hear is, you're fired. <laughs> Good. Thank God somebody fucking took some initiative and did what they said they were going to do. At least people are following through on their threats. Because she's now dispatched how many? Probably like nine kids. And she's telling people, she's like, oh, yeah, I'm just sending them home. That's not normal at any camp. Even if this, the people attending this camp are far too old to be there, I'm very confused. Why would people just be leaving willy-nilly? So um, I'm happy that they fire her. Good. Well, yeah, and you would think, like, if – you would think the camp counselors or the camp owners would be a little bit more, like, in tune with this because, you know, I'm sorry. If my kid got – if I my kid showed up from home, from summer camp, is like, oh, I got sent home, I'd be like – I'd call the camp and want to know what happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I'd be like, hey, what?" so, whatever. I would be baffled as the fact that I have not seen a single one of these children physically leave the premises. (laughs) I'd be like, when did their parents come and pick them up? Like, I mean. uh, It's not like it's a huge compound that you're not going to notice a car pull up. Right. People coming at 3 a.m. in the middle of the night to get their kids. I'm very confused. Uncle John fires her and she's like, well, what if if I tell you I'm sorry? And he's like, I want you out before lunch. (laughs) And she's cries and she leaves and she's hikes up to her abandoned cabin now molly does run into her and angela does tell molly that she got fired and that she's gonna go be alone and then this is when molly goes to get sean out of bed and we get the shirtless fuzzy sean uh in his little he's such an odd his little tight that. uh khaki camping shorts Mm. Mm, mm, yeah, mm. whatever happened to him i wonder <laughs> hey if you're listening no, just, um <laughs> you're, you may be a daddy right? now but ooh, i like it <laughs> so he she wants sean to go help her you know get angela and kind of console her so they go find angela at the abandoned cabin and um she's talking to angela and she's like you know, Uncle, you could probably go talk to Uncle John. And she's like, well, it's TC hates me, too. He He's every bit responsible. He actually reminds me of a boy I knew at camp. And she's like, oh, what what happened? And she's like, I drowned him. I love it. I did love that line. Yeah. 
And yeah, then, because you know. Yeah. Meanwhile, in the background, uh, Sean is like, "Hey, this door is not opening," and she's like, "Oh, don't go in there." But she like she doesn't even turn her attention, which I think if I were her, I'd be like, "Get the fuck away from that door!" and like jump to my feet. She just sits there, you know, making foreboding conversation with Molly as Sean is meanwhile meanwhile is like, "Oh, I got the door open," and he like waddles into the room, and lo and behold, Troy, what's in the room? It is all of the dead bodies that she has killed of all the campers. All of them. And there's flies. They're all decomposed. All you hear is the sound of flies buzzing throughout this whole thing. Of course, Sean throws up. Angela walks in and, like, beats him with a club. Uh, Beats him unconscious. Into his puke. She beats beats him into the ground because it's in his hair, like, in a moment. But um, I will say this body reveal, we've talked about a few it's pretty good. This is one of the better body reveals I've seen in my day. Yeah. Um, and I was even confused. Like, I mean, some of these bodies is pretty easy to tell who it is. Some of them, I don't even know. who. Let's go through this. There's one of them completely missing a face. Who was, who was that? <laughs> I don't know. Is Are you talking about the one that's in a sleeping bag and it's just like a skull? Uh, yeah. in a sleeping are there just bag? a few that are just people that just randomly uh, maybe it's Maybe it's camper she killed... Because there, remember, there is the scene. There is a scene coming up where she leaves Molly, and she is like dragging this other just random, random guy. Ca- ca- guy. So I'm assuming she's killed other people. Well, that's the um, that is the guy I think that was making. It's the guy with. that was having sex with the shot yeah. shit sisters. Yeah. But yeah, but yeah, they're just there's uh, Allie's bodies there, just with leeches all over her face. There's there's Mare there with the, her neck all sliced from the guitar wire. There's poor Leah there. There's everyone's there just dead. It's a party. Uh, yeah, and she gets Molly and ties Molly up. And you cut back to TC is like, where did where did uh, Sean and Molly go? And Rob's like, well, they went to the abandoned cabin to look for Angela. So now TC goes to look for them. Now, flashback to the cat, the cut back to the cabin. Molly and Sean are tied up, and she is like just kind of taunting them. And at the same time, here TC comes in, he comes to the rescue. However, the second that he gets in the door, <laughs> she Angela throws a cup of battery acid in his face, so he gets killed with his own battery acid. Yeah, I I like this kill. Uh, he turns around, like it splashes his face. He like whips around, and there's this like, reveal, and he's like, Gah! and there's like blistering skin. It was uh, it was a fun kill. It was I mean, it's quick. It flies by real fast. I liked TC. I really wanted to see him have like a. This is another character I wanted to see have like a a fight to the death with her. But you know what? She's frail. I guess they just had her dispatch of people however she could. And at this moment, Sean recognizes now Angela. And he is like, you are Angela Baker. And she's like, no, I'm not. I'm Angela Johnson. And he's like, no, you. my dad arrested you. And she's like, I'm completely cured. <laughs> yeah, she goes through a wonderful exposition-laden speech. This movie's good for him. Uh, where she explains exactly where she's been, what she's been doing, and why she's out of prison. She went... Uh, through a ton of therapy, she did have a um, a gender reconstructive surgery, uh, the whole shebang to explain why she is now the Angela we see in front of us, and why she is for some reason working at this camp because she says uh, he asks how are you working here and she says um, I got a, uh, recommendations from all of my doctors and my therapists and all of them like who the fuck would recommend that somebody who had a severe trauma experienced 
at a summer camp, who in their right mind would write, yes, yes, let's send them back to that environment. Let's trigger that and see what happens. And he's like, my dad, you should have heard my dad when he, when you got out. He was so mad. And she's like, well, wait till he hears what happens to you. And she chops poor Sean's head off with an axe. It's a whole... It's a horrible effect. You can tell it's completely a fake, like not even a head that looks like his. It's like, it looks like a clay statue. Like it mm-hmm. is so bad. I, I mean, for a movie that's been pretty uh, okay with the sense of some of the kills they pulled off, but I guess a lot of them, it's not really been like, you know, I'll say this. Some of the kills are really good, in the, it's, but it's the ones that are more like simple. The kills in this that actually require like bigger effects, ooh, they kind of miss they miss the mark. Like there is a hand coming up that is a wax hand, and we're going to talk about it. But yeah, there's a few reveals in this that are not that great, and the um the decapitation is quite a disappointing kill, especially considering that the character is Sean. And then, of course, she's trying to feed Molly, and she's like, you gotta eat. Even if you're sad, you gotta eat. You know, and Sean, he wasn't good enough for you anyway. He was always back-talking. And then she's like, oh, speak of the devil, look who's on TV. And she says so she has put Sean's decapitated head inside the broken TV set. Yeah. yeah. In case we didn't get enough of a view, enough of a shot of the bad fake head we now get another shot of it like a like a really clear crisp shot of it in a television uh so yeah it really is kind of a blah yeah, i know it's 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 weird that they chose what they chose to keep in the film and 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 whatnot it could have been you know um anyway so as angela as angela goes outside to get to bring this other random body inside molly gets free and when angela walks in the door she literally taps her with this club and it knocks her out. <laughs> she like gently falls to her knees. Like, it's, it's it's really pretty a weak fall. But um, uh, I mean, at least Molly manages to get out of the scenario. She does. But there is she does. But there is a candle. Here's the deal. There is a candle on the table, and I would have just set the building on fire. I would and I would have left her inside. I would have done something. But instead, she just runs and like, okay, I'm good. I'm happy you got out. I'm happy you got yourself free. At least you thought to hit her. But, yeah, um, and then yeah, give me something more. Well, and Renee this, it doesn't because there's this chase scene through the woods that really is just blah. It, it's very blase. They she trips a few times. Angela gets her a few times. There's a knife involved. Molly gets the knife at one point. Angela gets the knife at one point. It's all very just like weak. Um, it's not very exciting. And it gets to the point where you know I really wanted you know Molly. Generally, when you get these like meek. Um, shy, goody goody, two shoe girl characters. Generally, what you get from the from them at the end is they end up putting up a massive fight. You know, you look think of Jamie Lee Curtis and Halloween. Think of even like the final girl in Final Exam. Uh, when when they get when they get kind of cornered, their goody two shoe facade. They they are able to come to their own and like break out of it and fight back. Molly does not. Molly is the most worthless final girl I've ever seen in my life. She gets to the edge of a cliff and she's like just standing there and she has a knife. Why she doesn't charge Angela and start stabbing the shit out of her, I don't know. She literally stands there and whippers and lets Angela come and push her off the cliff. So she falls off the cliff and Angela's like, oh, poor Molly. If it's any consolation, you almost made it. Which is what we're all thinking, because 
honestly, she's the only one of these campers left. Another thing that is different from the original film, a big difference, is they very much dispatch of all of the major characters in this film that you get to know. Like, like think of, uh, uh, thus far, there's been already a, a higher headcount. Well, everyone's dead because this next scene, Diane, the, the short-haired Diane is still walking lesbian around. Lesbian Diane with no lesbian. Di- that's what I wanted with to say. With no purpose. But, uh, uh, she's a lesbian Diane. Let's she I, she is lesbian Diane. Uh, she finds Charlie and Emilio. They're 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 in the window, and it's obviously they're being held up by a rope. But she walks up to him, acting like she doesn't see this rope tied around him, and she's like, "Boys." What did I tell you about this? And it's boys. She, 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 but she grabs the one in the most awkward way. And you need to go, if you don't know what I'm talking about, I want you to go back and watch this. The way she grabs him, she like puts one hand on the shoulder and one hand on the, it's very purposely done. So, so that she can reveal the effect on the neck. Like you would never, I know I'm going off, but I just noticed that it's like, you would never grab somebody like that. Uh, there's no way you would have just tapped him on the back, but she has to grab his shoulder and the head to, to tilt it back so that you can see that his neck has been cut. It's like, and even oh, then I, it's like, I can't tell what it is. It looks, and she does it in the most awkward way. It's like, Diane, couldn't you have done that a little faster? So it doesn't look so f- ridiculous. Oh, Diane's the epitome of a day player. Let me tell you, Diane was on set for one day. Diane felt she was the lead of the film because she has the final <laughs> moment. And Diane was going to take that scene and she was going to run with it. And Diane is screaming. She's flailing. She's right. Uncle John. Like she's, oh God, she's taking this moment. She's really just making her all. It's too bad that Diane is immediately killed. Well, not too bad. She's actually quite obnoxious, but. <laughs> she runs into Uncle John's office and he is dead on his desk. His hand. Horribly. Horribly removed. <laughs> it's a plastic party city hand. It's so bad. It's, yeah, it's sitting on, the, and then he is just like laying on his in his chair. He's been stabbed apparently. And poor Rob, who I forgot about. Yeah. I was like, I what happened to Rob? And I like, yeah. Rob, see, what did Rob do lady. wrong? It's what you know. What it is it all comes down to? <sighs> but she didn't lady. know. Oh, Angela knows everything, and she's a bitch about it. She's pissed. She's pissed because he got laid. He is he is hanging in the corner of the office with like something sticking out of his mouth. And the actor is trying his hardest oh not goodness. to like his bl- eyes are wobbling. <laughs> not to blink his eyes or open his eyes. You could just watch him. He's like, you know he wants to open his eyes and just like watch what's going on. Well, but he, he can't. His eyes like, like rolled up so they look white. But like you know when you do that, how it's very hard to keep your eyes like in place in general. I feel bad for the guy. His face is blood red. <laughs> Well, Diane screams, and Angela immediately comes and stabs her in the gut and kills her. So dramatic. So, uh, oh, what did Anne, what, what did Diane do wrong? The, the Except, haircut, apparently. Which I like a sensible crop. I'm not getting down on Diane. I think it's more of an issue because I think Angela, with her weird, excessive Christianity, that's hinted at. You know, I think she doesn't like queer people, as we've gathered all around. She killed everybody. So every literally, Angela killed this entire kid. Yeah, they're all dead. Uh, they're all dead. Molly, in the meantime, wakes up. It's nighttime. Uh, so we know, oh, good, Molly's not dead. Yay. And in the meantime, Angela has apparently been picked up in this pickup truck by a lady that needs her own goddamn oh, movie give right now. <laughs> give, how did she not end the movie? That dame, literally, my notes, I was like, let me, do, let me see a, a, a buddy comedy with these two. With Angela and that woman, like she's oh, the best she's part hilarious. of the movie. She's like this foul mouth, southern law, southern drawn. 
Angela's like, thank you for picking me up. She's like, it's no skin off my tits. Oh, my God. Every line, she has like three lines. Each one's gold. And Angela gets pissed off because this woman's a good time. And she just <laughs> she just kills her. She's mad. She's like, oh, it's you're a- stealing the show from me. I'm killing you. <laughs> she- well, she lights up a cigarette. Oh. And she's like, I've tried to quit these things so many times. I've had to quit my quit. And Angela's like, can you mind cracking a window? And she rolls down and she's like, everyone's got a boss. The way I look at it, I'm just too dumb to drink and too fat to fuck. And then Angela stabs her. I'm like, this bitch is a hoot. Angela, you could have had a fucking gay old time driving cross oh country with this God. bitch. And, Can um, you imagine? Oh, she's a, a fucking doll. And Angela has a really bad taste in people. And Angela chooses to kill her instead of having the best night of her life with this she, woman. Oh, can you imagine them driving oh, to like fucking Des Moines, Iowa and together? To a line Good dance. Like, dude, they're all just yeah. a hoedown. Angela and that dame. Oh my god. Everyone's got a vice. I've got tons of them. Angela needs to not be so fucking holier than thou. Angela's got her vices. Angela needs to get the fuck off of her high horse. I'm not dealing with it. I'm sick of it. Yeah, well, the film ends then with Molly running out of into the street as the pickup truck approaches. And she runs up to the pickup truck and Angela rolls down the window and says, Howdy, camper! And the film ends with a free shot on Molly's face. And it ends. And then it starts playing this weird, melancholy closing credit song that was pretty... Interesting. I don't know. But so the the film ends with us really not knowing what happened to Molly. I guess we're assuming she's dead. And in fact, she is dead because I forgot, even though because we're not covering it. But just so you know, everyone, Molly does die, Roger, because in Sleepaway Camp 3, Angela tells the surviving girl in that film, which I can't remember her name, um, Jan or something, Marsha, Marsha, I think, uh, that she... Also, almost got away, but, but there was another girl that almost got away, but she ended up killing her name Molly. So in three, she does very she does state that Molly was killed. So we do know what happened to her. But that's the end of the film. That zoom in, like I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Are you fucking like this? Is it? She's like, how did it Like it's so like over the top. But I was surprised, and I don't know how they would do it, but I was surprised they didn't really try to do something. To top the first film's ending, or at least be that uh, impactful. Do you know what I mean? Like you're making a Sleepaway Camp film, and Sleepaway Camp is known for the shocking ending. I I was expecting that they would try to do something that was a little shocking or out of left field, and they didn't. It ended very abruptly, um, and they they didn't even like they could have at least like left it open ended where we didn't know what happened to Molly. Maybe she got away. Maybe she didn't. But then there is that line in the third film where Angela blatantly says she killed Molly. So I don't know. I I, I wish all I'm going to say, because I like this film, I find this film a hoot to watch. I'm going to admit it. There is really nothing I don't like about this film. I I mean, I think. I just think it's entertaining from start to finish. It's quick. The pacing's really strong. Uh, I like all of the characters. I just wish maybe it wasn't necessarily a sleepaway camp film. Yeah, like it's one of those things if it was its own, kind of like a lot of people, okay, a lot of people hate Rob Zombie's Halloween movies for the sheer fact that they are, they're called Halloween movies. 
but they are just different films. Now, honestly, if I were to sit here and dissect a Halloween movie, trying to like judge it as its own thing, separate from the original movie, even Halloween 2, there are things I will still hate, anything that has to do with his wife being in it. But other than that, like there are things I'd actually really like. But because it's like Halloween, I'm like, oh, but I'm so partial. So I think with this as well, it's like, oh, I'm really partial to the first movie, which automatically, like, because they tried to start, like, they tried to stray so far from that material, it automatically leaves a bad taste in my mouth. Uh, and I'm automatically going to, like, kind of prejudge it a little bit more than I really should because, yes, it is very entertaining. It's kooky. It's funny. Um, it's not too funny. It's got likable characters. It's got some really good kills. It's got some really bad kills, but that's okay. I tried. Um, but yeah, because it's trying to associate itself with a, a slasher film that I hold in high regard, it, it's not, it doesn't always hit for me. Sometimes when it hits, it hits, but at the end of the day, there are moments where I'm like, oh, I don't know. It's just, it can't hold a candle. It can't really hold a candle to the first one. It doesn't hold a candle in the first one, but as a piece of sl- of eight, late 80s slasher fare, I would say it's pretty good. Again, it's entertaining. If you just sit back and watch the film for what it is, it's, it's, it's extremely entertaining. I find it way more entertaining than the third film, which the third film is just, there's no substance to the third film at all. I, I think... And again, I'm I'm bringing up the third film, guys, because we'll never cover it, I don't think, because there's not much there to cover. There's no substance to part three. Uh, It's basically a body count film. There's nothing we 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 forget. Part three forgets about any of Angela's history. They forget about the nuances and the the delicate subject matter. The first film uh, took issue with it forgets about the, the the even part two that tried its hardest to connect to the first one, even though they were so blatantly different part three is just death scene after death scene of horrible characters that you don't like. And Angela, now you think she was Freddy fied in part two. Oh, good Lord girl. Part three. It's ridiculous. There's a wise crack after every death. It's just, it's not a pleasant viewing experience and part four just is awful part four is one of the worst films i've ever seen in my life which sucks because they brought felissa rose back for it, and it's just tremendously bad uh so when i'm looking at the whole franchise because it's safe to say it's a franchise now uh with four films part one and two are definitely the strongest uh those are those are two that i can revisit and i can revisit yeah. part two for what it is and and sort of forgive the fact that it does a lot of things to undo the first film's effectiveness in its own right but it also does some things right yeah yeah i'll say it, it at least has a vision of what it is it may, it may not be the vision i i would have had if you know i could have set up my ideal uh, scenario i mean obviously i would have brought felissa back in my ideal heart of hearts but at least whoever made this movie they knew what they wanted and from beginning to end it is coherent and it has structure, and there is an evolution for the character, and she just happens to evolve in a totally different direction than I think fans of the original would have anticipated. But you know what? I think that I I tend to think just from what I see, from what I kind of gather, I feel like a fans really like part two. 
Uh, I think if you did a poll of the Sleepaway Camp films, I think you'd see, you'd be surprised that part two probably has just as many fans as part one, if not more. I, I've I've actually seen a lot of people and just go kind of bring up Sleepaway Camp in these gay horror forums or any horror form. And, and you will see a lot of people that say this is their favorite film of the franchise, that they like it way more than the first one. I do want to bring this up because I find it interesting. Pamela Springsteen has been MIA for years and sort of refuses to talk about this film. And she doesn't really want anything to do with it. And I just find it really interesting because Felissa Rose, uh, on the other hand, has embraced her sleepaway camp roots and, and she's embraced the fact that it's what it's what it's done for her as in, in kind of the annals of horror. And I'm wondering if, you know, Pamela Springsteen will ever, will ever come around. I, I, you know, I mean, it would be cool to see her do some conventions and just come around and embrace the fact that she was part of a franchise that definitely had a huge impact on the horror, you know, yeah. the horror, the slasher film period, yeah. you know, sleepaway camp films are, are well, and I'm just wondering, I just, I just find it interesting. I've read many things where she just refuses to talk about the film. She wouldn't do the commentaries, um, on the, the Blu-ray releases. She just has nothing to do with it. I'm wondering if she knows like bitch could bank at a convention. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if the material and the, the direction they took it, <clears throat> because it has a bit of a, um, you, you know, dissecting it now as you would, we, as we dissected the first film, dissecting certain choices within this film, be it the character's journey and evolution or some of the dialogue they choose to use, it does it does kind of have an anti-queer vibe at times. It's hard to deny it. That could. And, um, you know, I wonder if she's just trying to separate herself from that. It may be, or it may be that she just doesn't like the films. I mean, that's very, that maybe she's in a place where, she doesn't need, you know, she doesn't need the recognition. She doesn't need the, to do conventions. She's very, maybe she's probably very content doing whatever she it is she's doing. I mean, she's Bruce Springsteen's sister for crying out loud. I doubt she's hurting for yeah. anything. She's fine. You know? She's, she's fine. fine. Yeah. But it would be, it would be so cool to see her kind of embrace her place in slasher movie history as Felissa Rose has. Yeah. Um, I'm just putting that out there. Yeah. It's just very interesting. But other than that, yeah, I mean, that's Sleepaway Camp too. I, I think that at the end of the day, you know, you, you're either going to be in line with, with what it did in terms of how it basically turned the first film upside down and did something completely different. If you're on board with that and you can get on board with it, you're going to sit back and you're going to have a blast for 75 minutes. This film is short. Right. If you can't, you're, right. you you love the the whole kind of serious dark tone the first film has, then you may you're probably not going to like this. If you don't like your kill if you don't like your killers like being in your face and knowing who's killing and making, you know, wise cry, then yeah, this isn't going to be the film for you. But again, I personally find it highly entertaining. I love the character of Allie. I think that she's a great character. Um, but yeah, it's Sleepaway Camp too. It's a film. I say this, you know, some films I say, oh, I probably won't watch that again for a long time. I'd watch Sleepaway Camp 2 again tomorrow night. I mean, it's, it's just entertaining. It just put it on as something in the background. It's comfort. It's kind of a comfort movie for me. So that is Sleepaway Camp 2, folks. Sleepaway Camp 2. Yeah, our, our first sequel. Our, I was just gonna say our first sequel. Woohoo! Oh my god! Yeah, look at us. We're growing. So We're showing. I love it. Speaking of, you know, so our next film is your choice. Are you choosing a sequel? <laughs> I I am not choosing a sequel. You know what? Here's the deal. Um, I I love the last ones we've done. 
and I I felt that for me to try to do another slasher, um, I, you know, I want to let the, the listeners baste in this for a little bit. So I'm going to do something. I'm going to go a completely different route. I'm going to stick within the 80s, but I'm going to go a completely different route. And I have decided for my next, next pick, I want to do the 1981 psychological horror, Possession. I want to do the movie Possession, and this movie is directed by a Polish filmmaker. Uh, his name is Andrzej Zulawski, and this movie also stars Sam Neill and uh, Isabella uh, Ajani. And it is a beautiful film, and it is a completely different vibe than the last few films we've watched. And I think um, uh, you have you not seen this one, Roger? I'm gonna I'm gonna admit it to you. I may be a bad horror fan. I've heard of Possession brought up as being one of the best. I've never seen it. One thing I've noticed is you very le- le- much lean into like a slasher, which uh-huh. I, mean, I love a slasher. But a lot of times, I uh, my my niche is more like psychological horror, and I like that because I think there's a balance between the two of us. Um, and so I was like, I figured if you have not seen this one before, why don't we go this route? Because um, I think you're gonna, I like to think you're gonna enjoy it. I hope so. We shall see. Um, I think some of the fans are gonna really enjoy this one because this one has definitely developed a cult following. I know. I've. I mean, I've heard. Trust me. I. I, I know of the film very well. I've heard of. I've. I've heard. I've seen many like. Um, like lists of like the best horror performances of all time. And Isabella Jenny has been mentioned on it in many, uh, many lists that I've seen. So, and I think she even got like some critic, uh, award nominations like national border review for best actress and, and stuff. When the film came out, I just have never seen the film. So I'm super excited because you have introduced me to some wonderful films that I probably would not have watched otherwise Messiah of evil. Um, so I am super stoked. It'll be definitely be going to be a different tone than our last, what, four or five episodes, I think. Cause our last four or five episodes have been pretty of uh, films that are pretty, uh, just not too serious. We can, we can have a lighthearted conversation with, I don't yeah. think that's going to be the case with this film, but I'm super excited because it shows yeah. how versatile we are, Roger. At least I'm, versatile. Uh, we're both know. very versatile. That's friends <laughs> like Who doesn't like a verse guy? Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I'm excited to talk about it. And, um, and I'm not saying my pick after that one is going to be just as, dark and gritty don't you worry i can keep it light keep it right keep it out of sight but uh yeah this one i think we're really gonna uh, have a really good convo so i'm excited to talk with you about possession i'm excited for our fans to listen to us talk about possession i'm excited to hear what they thought about our conversation today uh regarding uh sleepaway camp 2 unhappy campers yes let us know let us know i mean we post on instagram we we're, we're pretty active on instagram we're pretty active on uh, our Facebook page. So feel free to respond to anything we post. We want to, we want to hear from you, give us suggestions. And as always folks, we know you're listening. So whenever, where you're listening, if you're listening on Apple podcasts, just go and give the little, click the little five star rating or uh, whatever podcast app you're using. Just give us a little rating. It definitely helps. We are not going anywhere anytime soon. We want to keep doing this in order to keep doing this. We got to grow our audience and, those ratings, those ratings, believe it or not, do help. They're gold. They are. To us. Well, they're gold, and gold. you know, the more five star ratings a podcast get, the higher it comes up in search engines if people search for horror movie podcasts. So, and our, our question for you listeners is: 
Can you take us higher? Can you take us higher? Can you take us higher? Okay, on that note. (laughs) On that note. note. (laughs) What better note to end it on than a Creed quote? Guys, thank you so much for listening. Very excited to come back in the next week and uh, give you something new, something fresh. Yeah, so thanks for listening. Have a wonderful week, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. Very much so. Have a good night, guys. Goodbye. And again, happy Pride. Woohoo. Happy Pride. <laughs>